Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to a Land Jam Short, Hamilton Khaki Pilot Pioneer, the Hodinky Special LE. Yeah. So, Tommy, what's this about? Is, is this another watch alert that we want to talk about in more detail? This is a new watch alert. This is when you shame me for being a watch collector and I collect watches. So here we are. Oh, um, actually, I'm not going to shame you. I'm going to crazy this time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is basically Hodinkee's uh, LE of uh, the Fab Four release that came out uh, last year, I think. I think we, yeah, we talked about it on the podcast. Covered this. We covered this in actually one of the episodes. Actually, we covered the the package deal. Where you got the khaki field, um, just yes. like the tender and the chrono that we're going to talk about here. Yes, um, but yes. you so, just got the chrono itself. Yeah, so they they had basically a number of the chronographs uh, set aside for this two for one package, and they had a number of both the field watches and the chronographs that were just individually sold. So the one one the one that I got was individually sold. Um, to an original owner and i don't know I, i'm imagining this is some like crypto you know guy who's like lost his shirt and who's like had to, to do a fire sale to i don't know bail himself out of prison or something so uh <laughs> you know well, I, it I was mean... a really attractive deal so I, I i couldn't pass it on so that, that's that's the story of the the transaction yeah. the story yeah the the unofficial story um I mean, I don't know which crypto bro would go after a Hamilton Khaki Pilot Pioneer. They'll Fair probably go, it's not a they'll Rolex. probably go for like a you know a Rolex or a Hublot that kind of level. But okay. nevertheless, um, if you're buying a Hublot, you deserve to lose. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little salty. The kid's been keeping me up, so it's been a long week for it's both of us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, but nevertheless, you you scored a deal on ebay yeah it was almost like half off it was like it, yeah. like it was it was something that i i literally could not pass up i'm like if i'm ever gonna buy this watch it needs to be now because i'm never gonna get a better price yeah uh, and to the listeners out there um it, it, this deal just popped up and um, you and i were like going back and forth whether to get the watch and like i think in the end you know i'm glad you got the watch but had you not got the watch, I would have told you to get the watch for me. I know. <laughs> because it was quite a deal. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, Tom, I really, you got that eBay account? Come on, man. Get this for me. I really got it to block you. I mean, I knew you'd be all over this. So, <laughs> No, I, I think you scored a killer watch. And you picked this up, uh, what, last month. And we had an opportunity to get together. Yes. Um, and you brought the watch with you. And I must say, it is quite a stunner. It's quite a stunner. In, yeah, it's it's the, well executed. It's very yeah, well. It's, yeah, in the retro tool-tastic world of watches, yeah, I would have to say so. Yeah, I mean, and, and one, one thing, I mean, before we get into it, you know, one thing that I appreciate, you know, the Hodinkee-Hamilton approach here is that you know, it's it's as close to the original design as possible with some minor tweaks on, on the dial. Um, it's a manual wind watch, right? And it has no date. So like they, they yeah. really kept it real. Like they, they could have easily, you know, uh, 
you know, folded and said the market wants an automatic or, you know, everybody likes a date, but, you know, they really didn't do that. So, um, I appreciate be, yeah. And to be fair, I mean, with these Hodinkee specials, for the most part, I think that, you know, regardless of what brand they collaborated with, for the most part, I believe they've done a bang up job, you know, like the Alpinist special, the, uh, the Speedmaster specials that they, they were the H10. Yeah, I, I remember that Speedmaster. Uh, it was like a, it was like a iteration on the Mark 40 with the blue. Exactly. Yeah, it was that was I mean, Hodinkee, you know, the design guys there, you know, listen, uh, I'll be the first to admit I, I, I give these guys a bit of a hard time. I think uh, they're a little, you know, my impression of them, of the organization is they're a little too plugged into the industry. So you know, these are these are the kinds of guys that you know. I remember Hodinkee had like a whole like moon swatch countdown. They they even did like a whole special on the new one with like that that really silly gold. Uh, yeah, the the gold moon swatch. It was yeah, really really ridiculous. You know, so you know, I, at a certain point, I was like, this is more annoying and like not really uh, my speed. But on their LEs and and when they they sit down and design something. I have to say they do a fantastic job, and I think they really understand the design better than than Hamilton. Because I, I'll I'll tell you right now, I mean, I don't think there's an iteration by Hamilton alone of the Fab Four chronograph that I would get. Um, yeah, I think the best you one know, is the one that they collaborated with Hodinkee on. Yeah, and I think you know it's a very well executed because I think what Hodinkee tries to do is they really try to understand the the um the background of the watch and when it came from and everything and and they try to bring in elements of other um hamilton features maybe let's just say like you know the railroad tracks which we'll yes, talk about which was not original which was not original to the fab four but doesn't really clash with the watch i think i think it looks really pretty cool um but you know before we get into the watch itself you know we sh for the lay person out there you know we should talk about what the fab four is right because yeah, I think over the years I've talked about this line of watches like at least once every six months to your annoyance and our common friend's annoyance. But um, and you know who I'm talking about. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but I can't help it because it's a very cool watch. So you know, I'll just quickly go down kind of what is the Fab Four. So the Fab Four chronographs, right? So the the British military, you know, if if you look back from uh, 1930s, 40s onwards, you know, they had, I think, some of the most iconic watches for uh, their armed services, you know, whether it's like the Omega Omega mil subs, uh, the Rolex mil subs, um, the CK277-1, or the Mark 11 flight watches, the, the, the IWC, the JLC, the, these are all iconic service watches, you know, I mean, they've all become in some way or shape, you know, shape or form, you know, iconic watches on their own right, um, but you know, if you were in the Navy or in the Army back then, you, you would have gotten this, you know, as part of your kind of official kit, which is really pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, what was going on with the RAF? So in the 1960s, the RAF pilots were were being issued uh, Lamania Monopusher chronograph. So very similar case size to a uh, case shape uh, and layout to the Fab Four. It was a monopusher. It wasn't a double pusher. So you, you had one pusher to operate the chronograph on the crown. Uh, these were relatively complicated, relatively high end. Um, so, you know, listen, it, when you're a pilot jumping in and out of cockpits, uh, the last thing you have time for is really, you know, can can you go to a watchmaker and have your watch serviced? 
or yeah and and you know we have to remind the listeners right like back in those days uh a watch was an essential tool for yes. keeping track of time or you know some mission parameter or anything of that matter you know um, i mean like if you're if you navigating recall, by dead reckoning you you had to yeah. keep time if you were tracking fuel usage you know especially if you had some kind of instrument failure uh, you know, it was something that pilots kind of needed to have kind of handy. And um, these are the pre-court days. So like there wasn't. Yeah. A and, option, you, know, you know, like, for example, you know, the movie Dunkirk, you know, they're, you know, the pilots were using their watches to track the fuel usage, yeah. right? Yep. There's um, those World War II Omega, you know, uh, flight watches. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, just just fast forward, you know, some 20 years, you know, you're basically in that era of those Lamania mono pushers. So, you know, these were expensive watches, uh, you know, they took a lot to service. Um, so the decision was made to, you know, basically in the 1970s to in this thing called DEFSTAN, which is the defense standardization, uh, basically the rules that the Ministry of Defense has for certain kit that's to be issued, you know, to, to the services to have a simplified approach to a flight watch. And, you know, that's basically what it is. They That gave birth to the Fab Four line. So, you know, that approach was basically how the dial was supposed to be laid out, um, you know, what they wanted in, in, in a chronograph, how it should basically be sized. Um, and then they said, okay, this is what the output should be. We're going to reach out to contractors to, to get this done. So uh, how did that work out? You know, four companies basically answered the call for this big RAF contract, right? So it was Hamilton, CWC, Newmark, and Persista. Um, and I'm going to quote basically uh, a, an article here, and I'll, I'll put it in the notes. Hamilton was the first to make these watches. Examples were starting in 1970. CWC picked up production in 1973, Newmark in 1980, and Persista in 1981. So that was it. I mean, basically Newmark and Persista at the very end, uh, most of these watches were either Hamilton or CWC. Um, so, you know, these four companies didn't produce them simultaneously. They built them in batches over basically a decade. Uh, in that design, the Lamania movement, the monopusher was taken out. Uh, what they used instead was the Valju 7733, two pushers, uh, much more robust movement. It's cheaper to get serviced. Um, it was basically an ideal kind of choice for uh, pilots to wear. Very quickly, if you're looking for vintage versions of this watch, uh, you know, flip it on the back and, and look at the codes. If, if it says 6BB, that's RAF coded. So that was basically issued to RAF pilots. If it says 0552, that's Royal Navy coded, uh, Royal Navy personnel, Royal Navy pilots. Um, you know, other than that, very simplistic kind of design. You know, you've got two subdials. It's a black dial, um, asymmetric cases. So basically, you 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 had a a asymmetric uh, right side to the watch that basically had a built-in uh, kind of guards for the pushers and a crown guard, and they were sized at 39. You know, very simple kind of watches um and in their own right pretty iconic um so that that's the fab four that that's the basic fab four story um and you know we'll that's before you know we even get to the hodinky conversation so hamilton over the years has had their own modern takes on the fab four i've talked about them you know i think till i've turned blue on how much i've disliked those watches <laughs> they were either <laughs> size yeah the yeah. case is very similar. Like they have one on their website, right? The Aviation Pioneer Mechanical Chronograph. But yeah, yeah it's a bit, it's, 
doesn't really reflect what it was back in the day. I mean, yeah, the only thing that stands out is the logo. Um, but yeah, it's it doesn't fulfill about it. You know, I, I think Hamilton, for whatever reason, eschews a reissue, a pure reissue. And they like to do like a fashion-y take on their classic watches. And I hate it. And, you know, I don't like the updated logo. I've talked about this many times. Um, so, you know, that's the reason I, I love the watch design. I love the Fab Four. I think the Fab Four, um, you know, I wanted a modern one, modern version of that. Um, but I, I, I couldn't really find one. I mean, CWC makes a very good uh, reissue, but, you know, those are also pretty pricey. Um, so, you know, I was kind of waiting, waiting to see what would come up. And, you know, I think that things really changed in late 2022 because Hodinkee released, you know, um, a, a, a new Fab Four more faithful reissue. Um, and then from that began working with Hodinkee. So Hodinkee released this two sets. We talked about this, a set of two watches, the Khaki Field, the Khaki Palette Pioneer Chronograph. The field is a remake of, of an old Hamilton uh, field watch, the 75003-3. Uh, pretty attractive watch. Design-wise, very similar between the two watches, right? So if you look at you look at both dials, you're seeing a very similar design language between the field and the Pioneer chronograph. Um, the chronographs had a limited run of 300, with the first 200 being set aside for these full sets. So broadly speaking, the set of both watches follow the same design cues, right? As I mentioned, they, they, they're issued right. with... Um, AF0210 style fabric strap. Uh, it's basically like the kind of tropical uh, service kind of strap. Um, orange accents and loom. That's that's colored in a way to evoke watches that were, you know, according to Hodinkee, tropicalized, quote unquote. Uh, so, you know, back in the day, if, you, if you're going to go into action in the Far East or, or in the desert, um, you know, they would, quote, temperature compensate and make water resistant the watches. So it could basically handle service, you know, in, in the quote, equatorial territories, unquote. So this is specific to the Khaki Fields historical callback. Um, you know, these were called GS watches. Um, you know, these were watches issued to British Army, uh, you know, non-military personnel and diplomats, that sort of thing. And basically that design look for those so-called Hamilton GS watches, the general service watches, is what they brought back to the Fab Four, if that makes sense. So the Fab, there was no Fab Four that really looked like this watch, right? What they've really done right. is they put this design cue onto onto the onto the Fab Four. Um, so you know, in my opinion, very astute. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, you know, they did this before this this reissue with Hodinkee. They, they did have a Fab Four reissue, um, but earlier in two thousand eight, it was a black dial. Um, kind of a bronze coppery markers and hands uh, and look, yeah, exactly. look aged to me really kind of weird. I, I didn't really care for it. I, I really wish they would have either kept it white or, or basically done with Hodinkee did. So um, I, neither of us were very excited I, or really sold on it. We're, what are your thoughts, Sanj? Do you remember what you thought? The, the OG? Yeah, I was, I believe there was another flavor of the Khaki Pioneer uh, mechanical. Uh, I think it was just like a simple black and white too, uh, in terms of the dial and, and numeral. But um, I just don't like how the numerals are put together. Like, you know, the what, the 12 and the six o'clock, uh, they're much larger than the other rest of the numerals. And then this is again, a pet peeve of mine. The registers eat into like the, the, the two and the four 
and the eight and the ten. Um, okay. It's not yeah. So like whereas yours, the one that you got, the limited edition, what Hodinki did is they resized all the numerals. Oh, right. I didn't even notice that. Okay. And it's not eating into the two and the four for like the three o'clock subdial or the nine or the eight and 10 o'clock for the nine o'clock subdial, right? It's like everything is uniform. And I think that right. was a very clever and, and effective I see it way. Now. I see it now. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So, I mean, yeah, the dial and the hands definitely changed. I mean, what was interesting is that, you know, inside, um, you know, they basically put in an updated version of the ETA 7753, um, which is what they call the H51 SI. It's hand wound, 60 hour power reserve. Uh, the dimensions of the watches are the same, right? Of the Hodinki LE and, and the reissue from earlier 2022, 40, miller, 40 millimeter diameter, 14.35 thickness, 49.77, uh, 49.7 millimeters lug to lug. Uh, lug with the 22. So it's a, it's a slightly larger wearing watch. Um, but you know, what, what the Hodinki take is really just an updated colorway, right? White, printed, yeah. uh, almost khaki color hands. Uh, they're calling it Luminova old radium for basically, you know, faded radium from like the 1960s and 70s. So, you know, it's whatever they're calling tropicalized is the look, right? Orange chrono seconds hand, and they're putting it on a tan canvas strap. It's like that AF0210 strap from kind of that feel from the second world war kind of. Uh, yeah. So, you know, the package is in, in some ways a reskin of what Hoding, of, of what Hamilton had reissued in 2022. But like I said, I think the Hodinki is the one to get, you know, I, not just because I, I have it, yeah. but it, it's the best, it's the best iteration of that design. Um, if you look, I mean, obviously look, I mean, Hoding, uh, Hamilton, uh, Hodinki took some liberties, right? So if you look at the original fab four, it didn't have a triangle at 12. This one has a triangle at 12. Um, so that that's a change. We mentioned the railroad hands. That's also not in the original Fab Four. And if you look at the original Fab Four, you know, um, each of the numbers had basically a radial design to the edge of the bezel. Does that make sense? So you'd have like a line from like, let's say two to the edge of the bezel, four to the edge of the bezel, uh, six to the edge of the bezel. And that was consistent across all the Fab Four. Um, and mm. kind of did away with that, um, yeah. which, you know, interesting. I, I don't, I don't mind it either way. I, you know, obviously, you know, I wanted something as, as close to the fab four as possible, but you know, I, I can live with small stylistic changes. I, I think, I think the watch's message of being, you know, a fab four reissue comes across whether you have that radial design or not. Um, obviously love the vintage logo, had peep of mine, love it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say. It's a very simple kind of pick up and go watch. It's uh, the lovely thing about the wind up is a full wind, you know, 60 hours plus, you know, you can basically put it on on a, on a Friday night and you can wear it till Monday morning and it's not an issue. You only have to wind it up once. Um, very comfortable. I took it off basically the, 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 the strap that it came on and put it on a, on a gray NATO Admiralty gray which is, uh, you know, basically the issue for uh, pilots back then, back in the 70s. So very fitting. Um, you know, there's not much else to say. It's a very straightforward, comfortable, I think a really attractive watch. Um, I think I think Hamilton really kind of blew it out of the park, um, or I should say Hodinkee. But uh, the shame is Hamilton, I think, should re reissue a version of this. <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think Hamilton yeah. must have taken notes and like, or should have take should take notes and be like, oh wow, this is what we could have done. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean the the tropicalized you know indice markers every hour that I think it's fitting to the theme of the watch. Uh, it's it's like Fotina, right? Like it's um, it's exactly it's, what it is. Yeah, it's exactly what yeah. it is. It's it's Fotina. It's it's basically another take on Fotina, um, but it's fine. It's pretty subtle relative to let's say other watches. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is the, you know, the Omega Seamaster No Time to Die. Yes, yes, that was loaded with Fotina in my opinion. A bit yeah. too much. Yeah, I mean, I think you know Fotina like anything else. If you deploy it with a story and it makes sense, you can live with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think I think when you put it on a tan canvas strap and you basically talk about the GS watches and and how they basically took took measures to make them uh ready for action in the in the far east and you know temperature compensation and and humidity compensation and whatever processes they did back then it makes sense why you, a watch would look the way this looks, right? Even if there yeah. was a historical parallel for it. It makes sense. And I think that's the difference. And that's that's what Hodinky brings to the table that like Hamilton doesn't have. It's like for whatever reason, like why didn't Hamilton think of something like that? Right? I mean, Hamilton does so many funky things, and I think they do it really, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, whereas I think Hodinky can find a story that makes sense for people. Yeah. And the other thing I like, and it is a, you know, also present a little bit in the the Hamilton iteration is that there's only like Hamilton written on it. And at the bottom of the six o'clock, it's just a Swiss made. There's yep. no other lettering or anything of that matter, you know, like yes. with like the Rolex where you have five lines. Yes. Um, yes. I think that's very clean. Just, yeah, very clean. Very clean. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, the orange uh, chronograph seconds hand is a nice pop of color. Other than that, there's really not much else color-wise in the watch. It's a very, very kind of sterile military watch. Um, you know, it, it's very, I don't even know what to say. It's its almost like if people don't know anything about it, they, they, they overlook it. But it's a very cool watch if, if you know what it is. Um, so, yeah. Okay, no, so you have this watch. Yeah. But you have an iteration of the Newmark, which is a similar concept, right? the mecha quartz yes i have the newmark hs chronograph so the hs the hydrographic service is basically a white dial version of the fab four um it was issued to a ver the hs watches were typically issued to royal navy pilots and personnel submarine people uh submarine commanders right. that sort of thing so uh the newmark watch ironically the dial is probably more faithful to the fob four despite being white because it has that radial design and it doesn't have the railroad track and all that sort of thing so um yeah i i, I have two fab four watches i i ended up with two um quite please i mean uh, you know they're they're both very when you have them side to side and i'll, I'll put pictures on, on the instagram you do see the differences but uh they both really kind of work in their own kind of way so um yeah yeah, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Fab Four you'll be wearing the mo most out of the two. I, to be honest, I can't take the Hamilton off. I, I love this watch. It's, uh, 
it's a lot of fun and it's very comfortable and um Is it the same size as the CWC? Is the CWC faithful as well, or the CWC reissue? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. The, the new mark. I'm sorry. The new mark. The, the one you have. Oh, the new mark. Uh, the new mark, Yeah. I think, is a little bit skinnier and wears a little smaller because it's a quartz. Um, I'd have to wear it side by side, um, but I do believe the Hamilton's a little bit bigger. Um, Yeah, I, I know typically with the Vaju movements and, you know, they're not exactly slim movements, but No. um, 14.5 is not, it is generally slightly on the thicker side, but it's not too bad. Wearable. No, no, definitely. I mean, I've seen a lot thicker and more heinous approaches by other watches, including Hamilton. You know, they, they make thick watches, which really bug me to, to death, but they kind of restrain themselves here. So uh, I can't, I can't really fault them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it'll be interesting to see what your um your thoughts are in both iterations of the fab four um outside of the movement i'm just more about comfort and your aesthetic appeal towards one or the other You know, I think to be honest, I, I like the black dial a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of lean toward the Hamilton. I, I love, um, you know, I, I think the, 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 the new mark had a lot of cool, uh, a coolness factor to it because it was a white dial and was different. Um, but, you know, I think as far as Fab Fours go, it has to be a black dial chronograph, right? So, um, So to the listeners out there, there'll be a new mark for sale shortly. <laughs> no, no, no. It stays in the collection. It, it all stays in the collection. I just changed the battery actually the, the other day uh, for the first time since ooh, 2018. It's been a while, 2018 Yeah. maybe. So yeah, so no, it's sticking around. Um, you know, everyone has a place. That's all. Except the samurai. The samurai had to go. So. Of course, because I had the same watch. <laughs> You can't can't be seen. Can't be seen wearing the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the story of the Hamilton Fab Four. I'll, I'll definitely post some shots on Instagram. Um, if you do uh, want to score one, you know, I would say set up an eBay alert and just watch. Um, there's not that many out there. I think they were only made 300 in total. Um, but you never know. You, you might get lucky. Um, you know, I've been seeing, ironically, those Zodiac uh, Gulf Oil uh, GMTs. I've saw two of them for sale the last month. And Yeah. they only made 188 of those. So, Um, I, you know, you know, maybe I luck mean, will be I would your also double check, I mean, not only eBay, but also Chrono 24 Yes. um, on, on Yes. deals. Like I, before, you know, at uh, the time of this reporting, I was just curious and I just went back and forth between eBay and Chrono 24 on the Tudor Blackberry Chrono. Oh, cool. And The panda? you could, the reverse panda. Reverse panda. Ooh, I like You the can reverse. find slightly better deals on Chrono Twenty Four relative to eBay. Um, not nothing against eBay. Absolutely nothing against eBay. It's just that, you know, whoever sets the price sets the price, right? And there was one. It was crazy. Um, on Chrono Twenty Four from UK box papers, I think, just over three thousand dollars. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah, reverse panda too. So it was the updated one. Man, okay. I, I love that watch. I, I tried it on um on the, at, at the store uh Yeah. a couple months ago when um my wife I was getting my wife uh basically a gift for our anniversary. I was actually getting her tutor. 
Um, and she was trying that on and getting size. And I was like bending the guy's ear. I was like, hey, let me try on that Black Bay Chrono. Um, and it, it was awesome. It was such a comfortable fit. Um, it is, it, I, you know, it's not a small watch. You definitely feel it on your, on your wrist. But, um, yeah, no, I, I bless this choice. Sanch, do it. But on the other end, eBay, I think, has just as much variety as Chrono 24 because I came across some few Zins as well. I was like, oh, wow, uh, this is not bad at all. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I have an alert set up for the Zin 256, the military mid-sized uh, Zin. Um, so if you look up Zin 303s, they're basically 256 with the stainless steel bezel. Yeah, I don't like it. You, okay. Yeah, no, I want I want the black bezel. I don't want the... Don't you want, want the black bezel. You want the real deal. There is a 256 as well that's not a black bezel. Um, and no, uh, I, I don't, I don't want it. I want, I want, I want that. I want the... You want anything that has a chronograph on it, all right? Well, I mean, both of these are chronographs, right? So, yeah. I, I, yeah. What about, like, um, say, the Hamilton Khaki Pilot Pioneer? Uh, sorry. Yeah, the mechanical chronograph, the the one that you know, the originally was a three hundred, but they made a chronograph out of it. Uh shoot, what's it called? I'm trying to find the right I name. I know what for you're it. talking about. It's like a field. Yeah, it's a field, field chronograph. Field chronograph. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't really care for it. Do you? The Hamilton Khaki Field Automatic Chronograph. I'm sorry. These I think it looks guys. great. Um, I don't know. I Hamilton Khaki Field. Yeah, the khaki field automatic chrono. Field automatic. I see. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't. I'm not. I'm not in love with it. I, it does look a bit big. I don't. I don't really. I don't really care for the design, to be honest. Really, but you like the three hundred one though. Do I like the three hundred one? Just, I thought you did. Just the field watch. Yeah, I find it. I find it okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it doesn't really get me too excited. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what it is about it. it you know, I think it's the new logo, which I don't like. Yeah, I was gonna say it's gotta yeah. be the logo. It's the new logo. It's. I think it. You know, the field watch itself. I, I, it's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, but you know, I, I think it's fine. But if, if it makes you happy. Just curious, which which is I think the most hurtful thing I could say. <laughs> Back to the drawing happy. board, damn it, Sanji. <laughs> makes you happy, Sanji. Do it, right? Hey, right. man, it's Father's Day. I gotta find a gift for myself. All right. <laughs> what is this? Aren't they supposed to hook you up? What's going on? Yeah, I I I provide the inspiration. Inspiration. The purchases done separately. I see. I see. Interesting. Interesting. I, I mean, it it is going to be Father's Day for the both of us. So just saying, you know. Your first, yeah, it's my first. Um, I'm actually, uh, sidebar for the for the audience, but my wife has asked me what I wanted, and we've landed on basically a kit to mount the Saturn V on the wall. So you basically have the Saturn V broken into each stage, like you know, launch and then like discard, launch, discard, launch, discard. And it'll be like at the end, basically the lunar rover spread out to land. It, part of the reason is it's on a low table right now and the kid's starting to move. 
So I need to like do something to get get it away from him. So mounting it high on the wall is a solution. So she said, if you want to do it in your office, you can. So that's my father's secret. So I'm going to give you a land jam top tip. You take that Saturn V and put it on the mantle above the fireplace and claim it as yours. All right. Mm. So let me give you another land jam top tip. Uh, that's not happening in my household. <laughs> <laughs> I have claimed it as my own, except for <laughs> Christmas time, where it gets put yeah. to the side. I think I think my wife my wife would shank me if uh, that took the the mantle. Uh, but she's allowed it in the basement, and it, it may make it into the office. So yeah, that, that's <laughs> this that's is a small happening. victory. That's 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 life, baby. All right, Sanch, we got streaming gold, and I've got two of them, right? The first one is something that I would highly recommend to you because you and I are both fans of the TV show Chernobyl. Um, and then um, basically this is the Japanese uh, show called The Days. It's on Netflix. Um, it's about Fukushima Daiichi. It's about the Fukushima nuclear disaster. And it's about the team that was basically in charge of the reactor and the the wave struck and and damaged the reactor and also the decisions that had to be made to vent and basically take steps to you know save japan from a, a nuclear disaster um it's it's fantastic yeah, I mean, finished it, it yet. was a disaster but it could have been a lot lot worse yeah I, I mean that in part because i mean i didn't realize how much danger um people had put themselves in to stop the meltdown. I mean, they actually had to, I mean, it was basically Chernobyl style. Like they were sending engineers from the control room down to the reactor to, to vent it manually because they had a power failure. So all yeah, the it was controls, a complete, like, yeah, it was such a complete um, quake and the tsunami was, you know, like epic and 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 scale and and destruction that it disaster. did, but disaster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was... No one predicted how bad it could be, but I mean, this was an extreme level. Like every system and backup system failed essentially, right? I mean, the yeah. generators failed, and they had a serious problem. Yeah, I mean, they basically had seawater in the diesel generators, so like all of those were were rendered useless, and then. Um, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing in the show, I mean, we haven't finished the show yet. I'm about midway through, but the interesting thing is TEPCO, the company that operates the nuclear reactors, wasn't very forthcoming or wasn't aware, again, 50-50 on like what was going on in Fukushima. Like the, yeah. the fact that the, the cooling system had broken down, the generators were knocked out. They were all, they were telling the government these things as they learned them. And they were basically telling them as the reactor was melting down that, hey, the reactor is melting down. There's like no reaction time. It's like basically this is happening right now. Um, yeah. Really, really interesting. Did not realize how uh, kind of bungled and messed up it was. But also like, you know, kudos to those engineers and those control men who time, time and time again, like basically put their bodies in the line to like, Stop the mouth. Yeah, it was um, a sense of uh, duty to a lot of them, right? Like, um, we have to save. Uh, not you know, we we gotta stop this disaster from happening and save the people, or you know, from further catastrophe. Essentially, you know. So I think yeah. 
wasn't it the lead engineer or lead supervisor? He, like he called up his wife and said, "I'm not coming home." Uh, Stuff haven't like gotten that. to that yet. Haven't gotten to that yet. I have gotten to the point where they're asking uh, staff to go into the reactor to to basically manually vent. You know, at this stage of the crisis, basically there's a there's a built buildup of dangerous gas. They have no way to cool it, and it's basically a reaction that's continuing to to get hotter and hotter. And there's more and more pressure in the reactor cage. So they're sending um, men to manually vent basically radioactive gas into the atmosphere. But the hope is to get the pressure down so there's not an explosion and a meltdown, uh, yeah. you know, disaster. So, and, you know, they're basically choosing guys who are middle-aged or older, if possible, because the, the hope is that, you know, whatever cancers or anything that may happen, maybe, you know, it'll affect you later in life and, you know, you don't want a young person to go through that versus someone who's middle-aged, you know, maybe, you know, it, it won't affect them before their natural death anyway. You know, these are the kinds of calculations they're doing. It, it's really grim stuff. Um, really, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, how do you ask someone to say, you know, hey, you know, you're close to retirement, you know, it's your turn to go into the reactor. <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, it reminds me of that bit in Chernobyl where they have to close the valves yes. because of the basement was flooded essentially yes and, and ironically those three guys in real life survived and lived a long i think they're still alive yeah it's crazy nuts. right it is not, it's like i don't understand how those guys are alive and like how the you know so many other people in 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 from that chernobyl incident like were irradiated and, and killed like it's like how do yeah. you survive that and still stay alive but yeah it's, it's called the day because like you know in yeah. those situations you kind of have to pick all right, these people are will likely die and we have to select them, you know? Like it's imagine nuts. just coming to that level of decision making. It's it's nuts. It's yeah. Uh, it's not for me. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, it's uh it's a great show. It's called The Days. Um it's on Netflix. If you get a chance, watch it. Um it's it's I think 8 to 10 episodes. I'm not 100% sure. I'm I'm a couple episodes in. But every episode, it's, it's you know, it's very much uh, a Chernobyl feel to it. You know, it's it, this crisis happens, and these guys, it's like a roller coaster. They need to figure out how to get get this under control. It's very, very good. Um, highly recommended. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like, how do you prepare for the absolute worst? And then you try to get to that level and prepare yourself, but then you realize there's another level of even a more uh, severe situation that you just have no clue how to handle. And, you know, that's, you know, hard to fathom. Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point of the show, the prime minister has basically been told a meltdown is occurring and like he has to decide to authorize the vent of the radioactive gas. And, you know, they, they don't know how, you know, how far the gas is going to go and who's going to, how many people are going to get sick? And, you know, basically the, the energy company is not giving them any advice as to how far, how to evacuate. They're evacuating like three kilometers outside the, the reactor. That's it. That's like nothing. You know? Yeah. Three kilometers, you know, diameter is nothing, you know, right. You know, so radius. I mean, so yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy that it happened like, you know, some 10 years ago. And like we, I, I didn't know all the ins and outs. It's, it's really, pretty wild um but it's very i good. remember 
when the tsunami and earthquake happened because uh, I woke up a little bit early for some reason um, and I just went on my laptop and fired it up and I'm like, usually I go on the BBC and there was like a live um, feed of the tsunami happening. I'm like, good God, that is yeah. brutal. Devastating. Scary. Devastating. Yeah. No, it's, it's wild. Um, that was probably, you know, it it could have been a lot worse, you know. I'll just say that. And if a lot of people didn't make a lot of brave decisions and and really put their life on the line, it could have been a much, lot worse. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's called the Days. Check it out. It's on Netflix. Highly recommended. Um. All right. Second streaming goal, Sanch. Uh, we're gonna leave Japan. We're gonna jump on a plane, and we're gonna go. Well, what kind to, of plane? We're gonna go on a Chinese plane to China. It, and it's about uh, it's a channel called Noel Phillips, and basically his whole channel is he takes flights from random places in the world. He tries different airlines. Uh, he's just an aviation guy. It's a great channel. I watch a lot of his stuff. Uh, it's very entertaining. He does trains too and buses. Uh, basically, he just likes to torture himself and travel. Uh, and he flew the Comac C nine one nine. It's the first you know quote unquote made in China jet. Um, and just began operations in China. And he, you know, it's basically just what the amenities are and how that ride was. Um, so very interesting. Basically, it's it's a it's a copy of the Airbus, right? The 220. So I believe that was a uh, technical, some sort of partnership or something like that made by Comac and Bombardier when they had ownership of the, at the time it was called the C-Series. And there was some sort of transfer of knowledge or strategic partnership formed. Um, because if you look at the plane, it looks very similar in some aspects to the A220, which yeah. Airbus took the project over from Bombardier. I don't know how long that partnership lasted between Bombardier and Comac, but I'm sure there was some back in, you know, some support, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing to note is like a lot of the the, the major components are still imported. They're not made in China. So like, yeah, Avionics suite. Uh, you know, the engines, almost like every, all the key subsystems were all, you know, from the big suppliers. Right. So, but at the same time, you know, for what is worth, it is a quote unquote made in China jet. Um, you know, um, so that's interesting. They've entered. Uh, you know, China's entered the the aviation market in in kind of a big way. You know, the jet is not certified by the FAA. So, you know, I don't think anyone in the U.S. is going to sit on a C919 anytime soon. Um, but it's interesting, you know, that they are kind of trying to, I think, uh, compete, uh, at least for the domestic market in China. And, you know, if they can get uh, some export customers who don't care that the plane is not uh, FAA certified, you know, perhaps they can make some sales outside the country too. So, um, you know, it's a new, it's a new era. You've got, you know, you had Boeing, you had Airbox, and now you have Comac. So, yeah, I mean, for the domestic Chinese market, I mean, it's gonna, I, there's plenty of sales to be made there. Um, sure. You know, it's, it's super hard to build an airplane, regardless if it's commercial or military. Um, and then, and, you know, when it comes to commercial, everything is, you know, based on economics, you know, how much revenue you can gain per flight, you know, what is the efficiency of the the aircraft with its engines and, yeah. you know, the burn, the fuel burn and all that stuff, right? So, like, I always believe, like, the first generation of any 
high technological product, whether it's a plane or a car or anything like that, it's always there's always some compromises made. Yeah. But I mean, if you wait for the you know, when the next generation of the C one nine the C nineteen comes out, C nine one nine comes out, sorry. It will be a, a pretty big leap forward because you know they'll do a lot of improvements. Uh, but I, I think it, you know it is a feat for the Chinese um, aviation company Comac to to build such a thing. You know, yeah. There yeah, was something. I think I think long term the the idea is to compete. You know, in in aviation with the West. So. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, the Russians had their own. You know, during the Cold War, they had the Sukhoi. Um, you know, large passenger jets. Um, yeah, they had the Illusion IL ninety six, the wide body one. They also have yeah. the Sukhoi Superjet, I think, the narrow right. body. And you know, I think they had limited export success. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how some you know another player outside the Western market does. But, you know, I think China has a lot more deep commercial ties with like, countries in Africa, uh, country, you know, certain countries in Asia, which are, you know, you, you can call them, you know, deep trade partners, client states, whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, if they have some export success, it would be interesting to see, you know, who they approach to do that. So keep an eye open. And but it's still pretty cool. You know, Noel had nothing but good things to say, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was an Airbus and, and he enjoyed the ride. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a fine. I, so China also worked on another product called the ARJ-21, which is a regional jet. Yeah. And that one was a little bit of a disaster in terms of uh, development um, and and the the end product. But the Comac is a pretty significant step forward Yeah, in Chinese commercial aviation. And you know what? Give them credit. They, they managed to pull it off. And yeah. Um, but you know, when they start to face Airbus and Boeing, you know, there it's going to be a political battle, and you know, kind of. I mean, that's when the whole other conversation about who does China have a relationship with come into play, right? Because like yeah. you have to get people to try it, you know, and um, you know who's going to try it. So we'll see. I think it's interesting kind of uh, you know development. And Noel Phillips's channel is great. I highly recommend it. It's very entertaining. Uh, he's a very kind of funny and entertaining guy. Uh, he even has a loo review. So for every airline he flies in, he does check the bathroom and he'll take you into the bathroom and see how clean it is. So that's always Yeah, there's a lot of these fun. um app geeks out there that you know go on these flights there. Like do you the watch do you watch Noel? I don't watch that. I watch like other ones like um like nonstop Dan or Bunnick Travels. Those are pretty good. Okay. And they're like they're like they're, they just love traveling and it's pretty good. Um, you know, typically I mean, these... it's it's demented. I mean, you know, it's it's not traveling the way I would travel. Whereas I would fly somewhere and like hang out where we're flying to. These guys literally like he did basically a tour of India and he flew to India and then basically based himself in Delhi and took regional flights using different airlines from Delhi and just flying back and forth. So it's like, oh yeah, these people like flying is people, the worst. I don't know why you decide to do that. <laughs> they love traveling, right? Uh, yeah, and, and they would travel from literally traveling. Yeah, yeah, around the world. But the thing is that they would also tell you how they scored such good deals too. Like, yeah. I mean, they, these guys have like thirty credit cards. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I mean, th there's guys. I there, that's not this kind of channel. Like, there's channels where 
people are flying first class and you know it's the first first class you know experience Noel flies economy and he wants to get sure the the regular experience most of the time so blue collar blue good jeans. channel yeah exactly blue collar blue jeans like me that's what it is so uh it's, it's blue good. collar blue jeans with like 50 watches that's right <laughs> Watch for sale. I, I got I got, I got one of those like raincoats with the with the watches, you know, put on. Yeah, you're uh, like, you know, in the beginning of um oh shoot, that that classic Charlie uh Eddie Murphy movie, Coming to America. You're the guy. I'm that you know, guy. Yeah, I know exactly who which guy. I'm the guy. The trench coat. Yeah, I got some watches, man. I got I got some I got some uh I got some toothbrushes, right? It's toothbrushes. <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> it's like a golden toothbrush. Yeah, that's a great episode. All right, Sanch, closing notes. Last thing to talk about today. Um, last thing is an Omega Speedmaster. Yeah. That is a suspect. Is a fake. Fraud. Yes, it's a fake. So back in 2021, in November 2021, um, Auction House Phillips uh, auctioned off a Speedmaster Broad Arrow reference 2915 for like $3.4 million. Which at the time was suspiciously high as well like people yeah like people the, noted like that's a very high price for this yeah and people and and experts around noted that too because the estimated selling price was like a, around two hundred thousand dollars or euro per se right 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 and i think experts looked at it and had their suspicions as to like the bezel you know the real like speedmaster you know they found some flaws in this watch, but regardless, it got sold for $3.4 million. Um, it came out to be a bit of a fraud because... Basically it, a Frankenstein watch, right? I mean, they, they, it is. they assembled oh, watches from pieces from different watches and put it together to... Yeah, it, so it was a Frankenstein of mostly authentic Speedmaster parts put together. Yes. And there was some, you know, ex-Omega employees, and I think a few that were also, like, part of the Omega Museum, if I'm not mistaken, that was behind this uh, scheme. So the guy so, that, so the interesting thing is the guy that sold the watch wasn't an employee, but there were, there were two guys who were working with the, the, the fraudster, basically the seller, potentially, who did the modifications to exactly. the watch. And the guy who did the bidding for Omega was in on it. That's why it's also so high because he it's suspected that he got a cut. So they were working it from both sides, not just selling a fake, but also bidding on the fake. It was like a really Incredible. elaborate kind of plot. It was really, it was really. Yeah, strange. I would. Yeah. You know what? I was about to give these like uh, criminals some props as to you know the the scheme that they pulled off, but they got caught. So like, sucks. Yeah, terrible. Mm -hmm. They got greedy. Three point three million. I mean, people are gonna pay attention. You know, you, you, you exactly keep it, right. You keep it at four hundred, five hundred thousand. You know, you might get away with it. But three point three million people. People will know. People will start asking questions. And the interesting thing is, I mean, it was suspicious even back then. So um, they really didn't get very far with it. Um, but interesting. I mean, the sucker was the Omega Museum, who you know you would you would think would be able to authenticate uh, you know these sorts of things. But you know, exactly. And, you know, it went all the way to, you know, Omega, you know, basically apologizing, you know, and they had to, they even had to put a freeze on, you know, authentication to make sure like, hey, did we screw something else up too? So uh, really interesting. Yeah, the extract from the archives, right? So yeah. 
I mean, yeah, interesting level of um, criminal activity in the watch game. Um, you, yeah, I mean, you know what? This is karma for those those friggin' moon swatches that we're forced to listen to all the time. I'm, I'm sick about it. We didn't even mention the last moon swatch, the gold hand thing. I'm we're not going to stop pestering us. We just did. We just no, did. You're I literally mean, talking review. about it. I mean a full review. We're we're not doing that. Full review is it's not it's worth it. It's the same damn thing. <laughs> Don't buy it. Yeah. So you know, let's let's chalk this up to bad karma being directed at Omega for its uh, silly moon swatch business. But anyway, this has been a land jam short. <laughs> <laughs> It's been up and down. We've bashed Omega. I think you're happy, right? So uh, I'm not happy about bashing in a watch company, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your we did bash. Delicate. Well, you bashed Hublot. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not sorry. I I won't stop. Uh, those guys. You even bashed Hamilton. Actually, you bash quite a few companies in this short. Well, you know, <laughs> Hadinki. You bought a watch that had a Hadinki special. You bashed them too. Yeah, you know, listen, Hamilton, I, I, I have affection for them, but they do a lot of silly things, and I call them out on it. Um, and I give them credit when they do things that I like. And, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, Hodinki, mixed bag, design team, fantastic. Business, <laughs> too much. Not really for me. Uh, what else? Hublot, no apologies. They deserve everything they get. What else? <laughs> Let's go down the this- list. Omega. To the listeners out there, this is what happens when you know someone has a lack of sleep. I'm sleep deprived. I'm I'm so fried. Uh, honestly, it's like it's been, we had to get this episode out. It's been a, it's been a while, um, but yeah, Tom, Tommy is a, is at the end of his rope. Let's just say, and and you know what, we'll be seeing each other this weekend again. Um, so. I'll, I'll check in on you personally and you know, just make sure you're you're okay. Let's just say this. If this episode isn't out in 24 hours, you'll be staring at a noose at the end of the rope, right? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You're, you're going to drop me into Fukushima, all right? We yeah. Act before, you're going to be was. you're going to be venting Fukushima if if the if the tech work on this episode isn't done, right? <laughs> So you better get your suit ready. (laughs) (laughs) This has been a land jam short. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, um, You know, please follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter. Do us a favor, review us on Apple uh, iTunes. I think I'm, I'm like your mother that tells you, you got to call more often. Please review us. We could use the help. Um, Yeah, until next time. Thanks again.